What's up, church? How are you guys doing this morning? All right, all right, good, good. I hear you, Tiffin. All right. Um, one thing that I've talked about before, so you guys all know this, is that a little, I don't know if you want to call it tradition, but a little thing that we do in the Pinkerton family is something that my kids have dubbed car dinner, okay? And so this started during the pandemic when all the restaurants were closed and we needed to get out of the house. What we would start doing is uh, we pack all the kids in the van and we take it to some distant town and find some restaurant or some usually pizza place that we had never been before. And we would order a pizza, we would pick it up like takeout, and then uh, we eat it in the car as we drive home. Okay, so that's kind of what we, what we do once in a while. And we actually have a huge list of restaurants that we've been to and stuff like that. So by the way, I just want to throw this out there. I forgot to say this for a service. If you guys have a restaurant that's really good, especially if it's a pizza place in Ohio, okay, that's our boundary, um, you let us know, okay, or you let me know. And, um, yeah, okay, throw that out there. Um, anyway, so this past week, we uh, did our car dinner, and um, we went to a little town. It was about an hour away from here, and I found a little pizza place on Google, and I called them up, and I ordered a pizza, and we drove over there. And when we got there, we entered the town, and it was like, I'm like looking all over, and I'm like, okay, Google says that it's like right here, but it's not here, and now we've passed it. And we're like looking all over. It's like one of those towns where... Um, you know, there's just like a bunch of little, there's a few little old buildings downtown, but like that's it, right? There's no people, there's nothing. It's like a ghost town. And so we're driving through and I'm like, there is no restaurant here. Like I don't see, there's like no signs of life in this town, let alone a restaurant. And we're driving through and we couldn't find it, so we have to turn around. We drove through downtown a couple times, right, where Google said that it was. And, um, and finally my kindergartner, uh, Toby, he points to me, he's like, I see it, it's right there. And I'm like looking, I'm like, I do not see this place. And Kate's looking too. And then finally I see in little white letters, like, Plastic or letters that are like stuck to the window, it says pizza. Okay, not a great sign, you know what I'm talking about. If you're gonna go grab some food, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be really good. Um, so we uh, we go get pizza, but I'm thinking to myself, it wasn't that bad, it was average anyway. And so I'm thinking to myself, as I'm like pulling up, I'm like, that's it, like. It seems like to me, I'm not a business owner, so I don't know. And I don't own a restaurant or anything like this. But I don't know. It just seems like to me you would want customers, you know. You'd want people to know that you're there. You'd want people to know that you exist. It seems like you'd put up like a sign or something. Or like name your restaurant or something like that. Why don't you do that? Like why not make yourself more known or why not make yourself more obvious? And uh, if you're a Christian, this is probably a question that you've asked once in a while uh, to God. The question of, hey God, why doesn't, why don't you, or why doesn't God make himself obvious to us? Like, have you ever wondered that, about that, or at least thought about that? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, you ever think about that once in a while? Where it's just like, I don't know, it just seems like God could be a little more obvious. Now, we know from the Bible, the Bible makes it super clear, that uh, God wants as many people as possible to come to him, right? Kind of like a restaurant owner as I would think. You'd want as many customers as possible. You would want as many people as possible to not only um, know that you exist, but actually walk in through your door. And same thing with God. The Bible tells us that Jesus, God wants as many people to come to him as possible. And it's not just know him or know about God. It's even deeper than that with God. It's God wants as many people to start a relationship with him, to actually know him, not just know about him. And so you ever ask yourself, like, why doesn't God just, I don't know, do a bunch of miracles? Wouldn't that be easier? 
win that. A lot more people believe. It sure seems like it. I mean, think about it. We got this whole book right here that, um, that you know, was just thing after thing after thing after thing, all the supernatural stuff that God has done, that he's shown people that he's real and he's shown people that he's existed. Like, why doesn't he, you know, do a bunch of supernatural things today? You ever thought about that? Am I the only one? Okay, yeah, yeah, like why does, he, why does he do that? Like I don't know about you, I haven't seen like a pillar of fire come from the sky before. Would be awesome, haven't seen it, okay? I haven't, um, I haven't seen anybody who had died raised from the dead. Also would be awesome, I haven't seen that either. Like I haven't seen any of this stuff and it kind of seems like or it feels like maybe God doesn't do as bunch of miracles like he used to do. What's up with that? Or why doesn't he just appear to everybody? Like, you know, out of the blue, like out of thin air, just like, hey, I'm real. See ya. You know, why, why does he do that? Or why does he talk to us in an audible voice? Haven't you, as, as Christians out there, haven't you ever like prayed for something? Or maybe you have a, some important decision that you got to make in your life. And you're just like, you're trying to do the right thing. Like you're trying to do it God's way. And you're just like, God, like just, it'd be so much easier if you could just tell me what to do, you know, and I'll do it. Like, do you ever feel that way or feel that tension? Or if God, if he's God and he could do anything he wants and he's creator of the universe, why doesn't he just like write it out in the stars like I'm real or I exist? Like why couldn't he have done that? Wouldn't people, wouldn't it be a lot easier for people to believe if he would have done something like that? Like it just seems like God could be a little more obvious with his presence. And what we end up thinking is, hey, if God did something supernatural for me, well, I'd believe. That'd be so much easier to believe. Or if God could do something supernatural for my friend or my family member or my coworker, you know, they, I, I know that they'd believe it would be so much easier to try to get them um, to give their lives over to Jesus or, or to God. And this is an idea that is not new um, within, within history. Actually, 2,000 years ago, there was a group of religious leaders that, um, that were kind of mixing with Jesus, and they didn't really like Jesus very much. And they asked Jesus the same question. It says the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, they came and they began to argue with Jesus. By the way, probably not the way to start a conversation with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like, here's God of the universe standing in front of you, and you have the privilege to talk to him, so what do you do? Ah, oh, they argued with him, you know, just, you know, it's just funny to me. And so they, they begin to argue with Jesus and, they're de they, and were demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. So here's this group of religious people and they're basically coming to Jesus and they're saying, hey, Jesus, if you actually are God, why don't you do some crazy stunt, you know, why don't you do something crazy? Why don't you do some miracle? Then, then we'll believe. And uh, Jesus it says, sighing deeply in his spirit. Can you imagine this? All right? Can you, can you picture this? Huge group of crowd. They're like kind of picking a fight with Jesus. And they're saying, give us a miracle. Give us a miracle. We'll believe. And then Jesus is standing there. And he's just like, <sighs> can you picture that? By the way, we talked about this a, couple, a few weeks ago when we were talking about why doesn't God answer my prayer. But do you think maybe <laughs> that um, some of the things that you ask for, you ever think God's up in heaven going, really? You ever think about that? Like, I'm God of the universe and um, you have, I've given you complete access to me and we have this relationship and that's what you're asking for? Like, that's, that's, that's it? <laughs> that's what you want from me? That, that's what's going on here? And so Jesus does this. He sighs deeply in his spirit and he said, 
He says, why does this generation demand a sign? Why are you guys always asking for miracles? He says, truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. He's saying, hey, no sign. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. He basically, I mean, here he is. He's saying no. He's basically saying it's not going to help. And it's interesting because within a few days, these very people are actually going to put Jesus to death in a terrible way on a cross. And in, a few, in the three days after that, Jesus is going to raise from the dead. Like he's going he's to rise again, come back to life. And they're all going to be a present for this. And none of them will believe. So it's almost like God knew, you know, Jesus knew what he was talking about here. See, just like God made himself obvious to these people, he's also made himself obvious to us. And that's what the Bible tells us. And he's made himself obvious to us in a big, big way. Uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul says, uh, what can be known about God is evident among them. Now, who's them? We're them, okay? He's talking about, he's talking about people, okay? So, um, He's saying, what can be known about God is evident among them or among us because God has shown it to us, okay? What is he talking about? He's saying, for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood that through what he has made. And as a result, he says, people are without excuse. Here's Paul. He's trying to describe for us. He's saying, hey, um, you know, creation... Right? Nature, it screams that God is real. It screams that there is a designer. It's not something that just happens by chance. And so Paul's saying, hey, since the beginning of creation, right, forever, we as, as people, God has revealed himself to us. He's shown us himself in a big, big way. He's made it obvious. So obvious, in fact, that every single one of us were without excuse is what Paul's saying. And so sometimes what I think we need to do is we just need to take a moment and we need to think about all the things that God has made. Like we don't, you know, do that much. I don't, I don't, I don't think about that much. But, um, but let's think about just how detailed this world is. Okay, think about ourselves, right? Like what's the smallest part of us, right? It would be a cell, okay? Take it back to biology class. Some of you guys, this is like, oh, okay. Um, like a cell. A cell's pretty small, something that we can't see except for maybe under a microscope, a special microscope, and um, it's super, super, super tiny. We all agree with that? Okay, all right, within an average human body, there's around 37.2 trillion cells. That's a lot. Can we all agree on that? Okay, that's a lot of cells. Actually, that's something we can't even wrap our minds around of how many tiny little things, cells, there are that, that we're made up out of, you know? But they're smaller things than cells, right? Um, there's these things called atoms. Atoms are like the building block of, you know, Everything, I guess. I don't know. I just made that up. Sounds right. I learned that's like half something from biology, half something I just made up. Anyway, um, I think it sells the building block of life. That's what I'm thinking of. Anyway, so an atom is super small. Way, way, way smaller than a cell. In fact, in an average size cell, there's around 100 trillion atoms. Okay, something we can't even begin to wrap our minds around. Um, let's, let's take the smallest atom, okay? The smallest atom happens to be helium. And um, helium, right, it's already super small. I don't know why I'm doing this because it's obviously way smaller than this. But, um, but a helium atom, okay, within that there's a nucleus because all atoms have a nucleus. Well, the nucleus of a already the smallest atom, helium atom, the nucleus is around 100,000 times smaller than the atom itself, all right? So we're getting down pretty small. And then what's the nucleus made out of? Well, 
nucleus is made out of even smaller things like protons and neutrons. And what are those made out of? Those are made out of even smaller things, these things called quarks. I don't even know what a quark is, but uh, scientists, they can't even see quarks. They can't even measure quarks. They don't know. Uh, somehow they know that they exist. And there's a bunch of different types of quarks. There's top quarks, uh, there's bottom quarks, there's charm quarks, there's strange quarks, there's up quarks, there's down quarks, there's all these different quarks. And it's just crazy that that's what we're made out of. Like God has made everything so detailed all the way down to the tiniest quark, okay? Just tiny. It's extremely detailed. It's so small, we can't even begin to understand. Well, let's look at the other spectrum of things, right? Let's think about how huge the universe is. I mean, have you ever stood on the beach and looked out at the ocean and just been like, whoa, <laughs> that's big. You ever done that? We're just looking and it's like as far as you can see is water and water and water and there's, there's nothing else. All right, it, it, the ocean is so big, we can't even fathom it. We can't wrap our minds around it. And think about it. When we're on the beach looking out at the ocean, we're only looking at the surface of the ocean. Think about all the stuff that's underneath the surface of the ocean. It's so big. We can't, we can't wrap our minds around it. Right? Well, the ocean is way smaller than the earth. Right? We can't wrap our minds around how big the earth is. And the earth is way smaller than the sun. In fact, uh, there would be 1.3 million earths can fit within the sun. So the, we can't fathom how big the sun is. Just huge. And the sun is nothing compared to our solar system, which is way, 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 way bigger. And our solar system is nothing compared to our galaxy. In fact, our galaxy has like 100,000 million solar systems within it. I mean, it's just huge. The Milky Way, not only that, but the Milky Way is like 50 um, satellite galaxies that kind of float, I guess, around it. And, uh, and scientists speculate that there's around 200 billion-ish, because we don't know, we don't know as, you know as much as we think we know, 200 billion-ish galaxies in the universe. And we keep looking for them, and scientists keep finding them. And that's just what we can kind of see. I mean, think about how tiny things are to the quark to how big the universe actually is. I mean, it is so detailed that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around it. Um, in 1977, NASA sent out a space probe called Voyager 1. You guys remember that? Some of you guys? Okay. I don't. I wasn't around. I didn't exist back then. But, um, but Voyager 1, it, uh, its whole mission was to take pictures of the solar system. And so fast forward 13 years after they launched in February 14, 1990, the Voyager 1 was on the outer edges of the solar system. And um, NASA didn't know how long that they would be able to keep in contact with the Voyager, and, and it, was running out of, it was running out of juice. So they had to cut, cut, or cut off a bunch of the, the instruments on board so they could save um, the, the power. And so they, they sent Voyager kind of one last command here uh, for their camera system, and that was to turn um, back and take a picture of the Earth, okay? And um, this picture, which is right here, um, it took 60 frames for Voyager, basically 60 pictures that Voyager took in, the in a row to kind of piece all this together to be able to zoom in enough. And um, each frame, so it's got 60 frames, each frame had 640,000 pixels in the frame, and Earth was in 0.12 of a pixel. So tiny, right? And it's just tiny. And NASA scientists, it's right there. All right, NASA scientists dubbed this the pale blue dot when they first saw it. That's where we live, right there. 
in the middle of space, in the middle of nowhere. That's our home. It's practically invisible. Like we wouldn't be able to even see that. See, the universe is so huge, but it's also so detailed all the way down to the very last quark. We can't even begin to understand it. We can't wrap our minds around it. And so to the question of, hey, why doesn't God make himself obvious? The answer to that is, number one, he does in a big way. You, we can't even begin to understand what he has revealed to us. And even though he does, we still reject him. Actually, the Bible is filled with examples of people who saw God do some pretty awesome stuff and they still chose not to believe him. In fact, one time, uh, Jesus, he's in Jerusalem. This is right before his death. Um, and he's talking to the crowd. And um, as he's talking to these people, John, he's one of the people that are there. He, he's witnessing this, and he tells us what happens. And he says, um, a voice came from heaven, okay? So if you ever wondered, like, it would be so much easier if God could just talk to me audibly. This happens, okay? That's what happens here. It says, when a voice, it says, then a voice came from heaven, and God shouts down, he says, I have glorified it. Now, he's talking about uh, Jesus' name. He's talking about his name. And so that's the context of what's going on. So basically, God says, I have glorified my name and I will glorify my name again. And he's, he's kind of hinting towards Jesus' death, which will be in just a couple of days. And so you would think all the people there standing in the crowd, they'd all be like, whoa, all right, God, this dude is God. Like, you know, hail Jesus as king of the universe. But that's not what happens. This is the crowd. They're standing there. They heard it. Everybody heard it. You couldn't miss it. You couldn't not hear this. But some of them said, ah, what was that? Ah, oh, that must have been thunder. All right, by the way, that just proves to us that God does not have a little weak, wimpy voice. Okay? Um, it's not like God's up in heaven going, excuse me. You know, hey, let me just get a word in. No, that's not what's going on. God shouts out. So they're like, oh, no, 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 that was thunder. That must have been thunder, some more natural explanation. While others said, nah, these are the little more religious people. They're like, hey, that wasn't God, but that was probably an angel. An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus responded, he's like, no, 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 this voice from God, God's voice, it came not from me, but for you. God's trying to make himself obvious to you. But these people couldn't understand it. Right? God, Jesus is like, God's revealing himself to you, but you just don't get it. See, we can experience the same event, something that we might think is obvious to us from God, but we can interpret it completely different. I mean, here's the deal. That's the problem with, with obvious. Um, how many of you guys have seen this picture before? Okay. Uh, how many of you guys see a rabbit? Okay. How many of you guys see a duck? And how many of you guys see both? All right. Good for all of you guys. You guys are so smart. There you go. Um, some of you guys are like, there's a duck in there? Where's the duck? I don't see no duck. Yeah, it's there. Um, see, that's the thing. See, we can look at a picture, and we've seen pictures like this before, where we can both look at the same evidence or the same event or experience the same thing, but interpret it completely opposite of each other. That's what we see back in Jesus' day. They couldn't agree. Thunder, angel, couldn't have been God, right? See, we think of God just made himself more obvious, we'd believe. It would really help us understand. But that's not always true. And I think one of the best examples of this comes back, we find in the Old 
Testament. This is a story that a lot of you guys, if you've been in church for any amount of time, I mean, you've heard over and over and over again. And um, kind of the setting of what's going on is just setting the stage is uh, the nation of Israel, they've been, in, they've been slaves at this point in Egypt for about 400 years, which would be terrible. And as they are slaves in Egypt, um, they're crying out to God. And God raises up this dude named Moses. And he goes to Moses. He says, hey, I'm going to use you to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses has a bunch of things he doesn't like about that. But God uses him anyway. And uh, Moses eventually goes and stands before Pharaoh, who's like king, right? And he says, hey, Pharaoh, um, just want to let you know, God's telling me to tell you that you need to let the people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, are you kidding me? Like, not, he's not a fan of the, his slaves leaving Egypt. And so uh, Moses and Aaron, as they're before Pharaoh, what does Pharaoh do? He asks for a miracle, which makes sense. He's like, okay, all right, here, here guys. Um, this is kind of funny, but, uh, it, you know, if you guys um, show me some miracle, show me some sign that you're actually from God. I'm not going to just let my slaves go, let my, my labor force just go. And so um, it's funny because God had actually told Moses that, um, that this was going to happen. And he's like, hey, this, you know, I'm going to have this trick. It's going to be sweet. You're going to perform this, like, miracle in front of him. And so Moses, you know, he's like, oh, you know, when he hears Pharaoh ask this, he's like, I was hoping you'd say that. Check this out, Pharaoh. And um, Aaron takes his staff and he throws it on the ground, his stick, and it turns into a snake. Now, let me just tell you, if any of you guys ever came up to me and said, hey, Zach, I just want to let you know, um, God is telling me to tell you this, whatever that is, and you have a stick in your hand, and you throw the stick on the ground and it turns into a snake, I'll listen, okay? Like, I'll believe you. <laughs> That's all I need. You know, I don't, you don't need to do nothing else. I will believe you and I will believe that it is from God. When Pharaoh sees this, he's just like, I think I've seen that trick before. And he calls in his magicians and he's like, hey guys, um, I would need you to turn a, a stick into a snake. And I don't know how they did it. I don't know. I mean, these guys are just, you know, like doing a magic show, like tricks or if it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. But somehow they, uh, they get their sticks to, to turn into snakes or they throw snakes down or whatever. And then um, Moses' staff or Aaron's staff, God's snake, actually it eats the other snakes. And then Aaron picks it back up and he's like, ah, see, check that out. And he picks it back up and his staff's probably like three times larger at this point. I don't know how that worked out. But um, he picks up his staff and Pharaoh's like, nah, you know, that's not, um, that's not good enough. And, um, and I'm not going to let them go. And so uh, the next morning, God tells Moses to go back to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, you know, God's telling us to tell you to let my people go. And in Exodus chapter 7, it says, this is, uh, Moses says, this is what the Lord says. He says, here you will know. All right, so why is God doing this? He's about to do a whole bunch of stuff. And why is he doing it? He is doing it for Pharaoh. He's trying to make himself obvious to him. He's saying, this is, I'm doing this so you will know that I am the Lord. He says, watch, I'm about to strike the water in the Nile with the staff in my hand and it will turn to blood. All right, the fish in the Nile, they're going to die and the river will stink and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from it. And so that's exactly what happens. All right, he, God's doing this so that he will know. So, he, so God's saying, I want to make this obvious to you. And a few verses later, it says, Moses and Aaron, they did just as the Lord had commanded. And in sight of Pharaoh and his officials, so they actually watched them do this. He raised his staff and he struck the water of the Nile. And all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. It says the fish in the Nile, they died because they can't survive in blood. And the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink water from it. And there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt, 
They did the same thing by their occult practices. And so Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen to them, even though God had done this huge miracle in front of him, as the Lord had said he would do. And Pharaoh turned around and he went into his palace and he didn't even take this to heart. And about a week later, right, Moses and Aaron, they go back to Pharaoh and they say, hey, Pharaoh, by the way, we're back. <laughs> um, God wanted us to tell you to let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, nah, I don't, I'm, not think, I'm not feeling that today. And so M Moses is like, okay, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a bunch of frogs and frogs are going to be everywhere. And it's going to be all throughout the land. It's going to be crazy and you're going to hate it. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, right. Well, then the very next day, there's frogs everywhere. And the Bible is like, God was very thorough with the placement of these frogs, okay? The Bible says that they were in the Egyptians' houses and their bedrooms and their beds and their ovens and their bowls and their food. These frogs were everywhere so bad that it could only be from God. And it's so bad for Pharaoh. He's just, he gathers them, he gathers Aaron and Moses back in. He calls them back in. He says, okay, 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 okay. You guys could go. Take the frogs away. Get them out of here. He says, Moses replied, he says, as you have said, so that you may know, okay, there is no one like the Lord. He's like, this is the reason why God's doing this, so that you will know. He says, the frogs will go away from you and your houses and your officials and your people. God will take those away, right? It's crazy. See, for the frogs, it wasn't just, it wasn't just um, the appearance of frogs. It was actually the quick taking them away as well. And the frogs just like all instantly died everywhere. So much the Egyptians had to like wheelbarrow them out of their houses, all the dead frogs, and it stank, and it was terrible. Right? Not only, you know, was the sudden appearance of frogs everywhere a sign, but the instantly taking them all away was also a sign. And then a few days of having no frogs, Pharaoh, he kind of changes his mind. He's like, you know what? It's pretty nice here. Um, this is a pretty good land, and I need my workforce. I'm not going to let them go. And he decides to take it back and change his mind again. So God sends another plague. It's, uh, it's gnats this time. Gnats just everywhere, all over the place. I think he sent the gnats, that was just to like annoy them to death, okay? Because that would be terrible. And even Pharaoh's advisors with the gnats, right? There's his advisors at first, they're like, hey, uh, we could do that snake trick. Uh, we could do the, the blood trick and we could produce some frogs. That's a piece of cake, Pharaoh. Don't worry about this. But the gnats are like, we can't do this anymore. And even Pharaoh's officials, they say, this has to be the finger of God. Like, they're like, Pharaoh, isn't this obvious? This is God. He says, but Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said would happen. And so they can't convince him. And the Bible says a few days later, God tells Moses and Aaron to go back to Pharaoh. And when they get to Pharaoh, they say, hey, if you will not let my people go, then I will send swarms of flies against you. Right, your officials and your people and your houses, it's going to be terrible. And the Egyptians' houses will swarm with flies so that the land uh, where they, and so will the land where they live. But on that day, I will give special treatment to the land of Goshen. This is where the Jewish people live. He says, where my people are living, there will be no flies. No flies will be there, not even one. And this will, this way, you will know that I, the Lord, am in the land. So that it will be obvious to you. It says, I will make a distinction between my people and your people, and this sign will take place tomorrow. Now, at this point, you would think that if you were Pharaoh, you'd be like, okay, 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 okay. I don't, I don't want to deal with flies. I dealt with the gnats. Those are gone. The frogs, that was terrible. All right, I'm not, I'm not I don't want to do this, the, the fly thing. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't believe. 
So all the Egyptians are covered with flies. There's flies everywhere. But the place where the Jewish people live, there are no flies. And it's so bad that Pharaoh calls them in. And it's so annoying that Pharaoh's like, okay, okay, take the flies away. You guys can go. And God takes the flies away. It's okay for a couple days. And Pharaoh changes his mind. Next day, Moses uh, goes and he says, um, God says to let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, nah, I'm not really buying into that anymore. And then all of the Egyptian livestock dies. And no livestock from the people of Israel. And I actually found this. I had never noticed this before. It's like in one verse in this. And the Bible tells us that, that Pharaoh actually sent some like spies to the land where, where the Jewish people were living just to see if any of their like livestock died and they come back. They're like, no, man, uh, they got some healthy cows over there, you know, and goats and chickens and stuff and all ours are dead. They're like, it, it didn't hit both places. God has made a difference. Like this has to be from God. But it wasn't enough. God sends a bunch of boils all over the bodies of the Egyptian people. They're super, super, super painful. And in Exodus chapter 9 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, he says, Get up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. He says, For this time I am about to send all my plagues against you, your officials and your people, and then you will know that there is no one like me on the whole earth. So it will be obvious to you. But now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague and you would have been obliterated from the earth. Isn't that kind of funny? Here's God like, hey, send Pharaoh this message. I could have wiped you out. I could have obliterated you. But I didn't want to because I want to show you. I want to make it obvious that I'm real. However, he says, I have let you live for this purpose to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. And you are still acting arrogantly against my people by not letting them go. Tomorrow at this time, I will rain down the worst hail that has ever occurred in Egypt. And from that day, it was founded until now. And sure enough, that's what happens. A huge hailstorm comes and it's so bad that anybody who is not under shelter, they die because the hail, uh, the hail kills them. Wasn't enough for Pharaoh. Then uh, God sends a bunch of locusts. There's so many locusts that the Bible says they covered all the ground and they ate all the plants and there was no green leaf left in the land. Pharaoh still refused. Then after that, God sends, has three days where the sun doesn't even come up. I mean, think about it. You want to see something supernatural and miraculous, right? The sun doesn't come up for three days. It's just dark. It wasn't enough for him. Then God allowed the last one, God allowed all the firstborn in the whole land of Egypt to die. And Pharaoh, this broke him, and he finally let them go. You see, here's a guy who struggled with believing God. And I read this stuff, and it's like, man, I don't know how God could have been any more obvious. Like, you can't get more obvious than that. I mean, you got the snake thing, you got the water, the blood, you got frogs, you got gnats, you got flies, all the livestock dies, you got boils all over their bodies, you got hail, a uh, huge hailstorm, you got locusts, you got darkness, you got, you got the death of the firstborn. And God tells Pharaoh before all these things happen, says, hey, I'm going to do this if you don't do it. And then it ends up happening. Like it took all of that. And what you find out if you read the rest of the story is that Pharaoh still chooses not to believe. And this wasn't even an issue with Pharaoh. This is like a human problem. Because think about the Jewish people, right? The Jewish people, they got to witness all of this stuff happen. 
I mean, they were there for that. They didn't, they didn't experience any of it, but they got to witness all this stuff happen. But on top of that, they end up leaving Egypt, and they're following a pillar of fire, okay? Pretty intense around the wilderness. And then they, they come to this place called the, the Red Sea, huge like lake sea thing, and uh, Pharaoh, he sends out his army, and they're kind of trapped in between Pharaoh's army, who's intent on wiping them out, and the Red Sea. And what's God do? God parts the sea, and they walk through on dry ground. Pharaoh's army, it goes after them, and then the sea comes, and it, it washes them all away. They all, they, the whole army gets, dies. All right? Can you picture, like, walking through Lake Erie? Like, the water just, like, opens up, and you start walking through, and you're like, wow, this is crazy. Like, wouldn't that convince you that God is for real? Wouldn't it? You would think it would. So the Jewish people experience that. Then they're thirsty and there's no water out there. So God has water gush out of a rock. Then they're hungry because there's no food out there. So God provides them this, this like bread stuff on the ground called manna that just appears every morning. And then they complain about that. So God's like, all right, I'll give you some meat. They were complaining about not having meat. And so God put, has quail that kind of hover around the ground. They kind of fly on the ground where they could just go out and, you know, with their baseball bat and hit a few and have dinner. You know, that's what, that's what they did. And then they had this huge battle. And Moses is the raises staff, and, and when the staff's raised, they, they start winning the battle, and it lasts all day, and God miraculously wins that battle for them. And then kind of the biggest thing, in my opinion, is they go up to this mountain. It's called Mount Sinai, and they get to see the glory of God. And the Bible describes it this way. It says, um, there's this, so there's this huge mountain, and uh, the mountain is like trembling. It's like shaking. And there's lightning, and there's constant thunder, and there's smoke coming up out of the mountain. And the Jewish people are just like, dude, this dude, this God is crazy. Like, this is, this is nuts. We are going to die here. And Moses goes on up the mountain to talk with God. Actually, Exodus chapter 32. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed, right, he was up there for like a month, all right. So he was up there for a while. He says, when they saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. And they said to him, hey, Aaron, hey, come, why don't you do this? I got an idea. Um, let's make gods for us who will go before us because this Moses, this guy, Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He's been up on the mountain for a month. And when he went up on that mountain, the mountain was already smoking and on fire. And it was kind of crazy and shaking. So he probably didn't even last the first five minutes. And Aaron replied to them, he's like, hey, you would think, this is the dude with the snake staff thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you would think he would get it. But he says, great idea. I love it. Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. And why don't you just bring them over to me so that all the people, they took off their gold rings that were on the ears. And uh, they brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from them and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into an image of a cow. What? You would think you'd pick like a lion or something, like an eagle. I don't know. Or he, he turns it into like a cow. After they had seen all of this, I mean, it's just nuts. While they're eating manna off the ground, the stuff that doesn't even exist. See, the Bible is filled with stories like this. God reveals himself in some miraculous, obvious ways, and the people reject him. I'm thinking all the way back to the beginning. Remember Adam and Eve? <laughs> Adam and Eve had it sweet. All right? They had it perfect. They didn't die. They didn't have sickness. I mean, everything was awesome. They got to spend the evenings walking and talking with God. That's pretty sweet, right? And then what did they end up doing? Rejecting him. Think about their son, Cain. Remember Cain? Cain. 
bad guy, right? Cain, right? Um, he has this like jealousy problem with his brother Abel and God. And what's God do? Remember, God comes down and talks to Cain, talks to him. Audibly said, hey, Cain, you better watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. You, you know, I mean, it's always trying to there. You got to master it. You got to overcome sin in your life. And Cain's like, okay, God, and what's Cain go out and do? Goes and murders his brother. You'd think God couldn't be any more obvious than that. See, even though God reveals himself and is obvious, we still humans, we have this issue. We still reject people. See, it's not an evidence issue. It's a heart issue. See, naturally, we don't want a God in our lives, and we choose not to see the obvious. And to be honest, I don't know if we can handle any more God. It's kind of interesting because right after Moses um, comes down off the mountain, he finds his, like, cow <laughs> that they're all worshiping. And Moses deals with that. It's probably been a rough few days for him. And he goes to God and he says, hey, God, um, could, I, could you just show me yourself? He's like, can, can you just show me some of your glory? And God's like, Moses, you can't see me and survive. You can't survive that. You don't understand what you're asking for. And then God's like, you know what, this is what I'll do, Moses. And we've talked about this before. He takes Moses, he's like, and he puts Moses in the crack of a rock. All right, he's up on Mount Sinai, up in the mountains. And he puts him in like a crack of a rock. And he says, this is what I'll do. I'm going to put my hand over the little entrance to this cave here. And I'm going to walk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go by you. And, um, and if you see any of that, you will definitely die. But I'm going to take my hand away and I'll allow you to look at the tail end of my glory. And that's what he does. Remember Moses' face? It lit up for like a week. And it was like glowed. In fact, when he came down from the mountain, people were trying to have conversations with Moses and stuff. And they're like, Moses, can you shut your face off? It's so bright. I can't, I can't talk to you like this. This is crazy. And so Moses has to veil his face. That's the God. I mean, remember, um, remember how many of you guys have seen the, the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember Indiana Jones? And remember how that scene, end, or how that movie kind of ends? The guy opens up um, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the Nazi guy, you know, he opens it up and he's trying to look at God's glory. He wants to see what's inside. And remember what happens to him? His face melts off, right? Like that's kind of how it is, right? That's how, that's how it is. This is what God's worried about Moses for. See, we can't handle any more God. We can't even handle what he's already revealed to us in our minds. Like we can't even understand the world around us. So why does a God make himself obvious? Well, he does in a big way. We just choose not to see it. And because of that, people, we reject him anyway. And I don't think even if we want it, I don't think we can handle any more God than what we already have, which is crazy to think about. So think about that this week. Here, let's pray. Um, God, we thank you um, for making yourself obvious to us. I mean, it's obviously, obvious that you're there. Not to mention all the changed lives and all the other things, but even just looking at the little sliver of creation and nature around us and the world and the universe around us, God, we can't even begin to understand. We don't even understand how it all works. You were the designer. You've made it so detailed, but also so huge. 
so that we could trust in you. God, um, we ask that we would do that. We would not ignore the obvious evidence that you have given us as you've revealed yourself to us. And God, um, we ask that uh, you'd help us just think about that. Maybe just think about that this week. Lord, we thank you for loving us when you, you don't have to and you definitely don't owe us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.